Our reading tonight is from Hebrews chapter 1, and that can be found on page 1201 of the Bibles in your pews. Page 1201, Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 and continuing to the end. The Son Superior to Angels. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. But you remain the same and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Amen. Good evening, everyone. Let's um, let's pray as we uh, dig into what this word from Hebrews might have to say to us this evening. Loving Lord God, we thank you for these amazing words that we have read. We ask that you would speak through them to us tonight, that we would know the truth about your Son and learn more about how to worship and obey him in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, first impressions are always quite important, I find, in relationships, but they're often Uh, I find, for me anyway, they can often be wrong. Uh, Some of the first impressions I have of people uh, bear no relation at all to who they really are. And sometimes that process from moving to a first, from a first impression to knowing someone for who they really are is a bit of a shock um, and at times potentially embarrassing. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I've got two brothers, and when we were growing up, some of the babysitters who used to look after us came from the Christian Union at the university in our town. Uh, And one of the guys who came to look after us a few times was called Tussie. Uh, Tussie was from Tonga. He was about six foot a lot, 
Um, he was a huge guy. Uh, it's fair to say that when he was on duty, he didn't really have any disciplinary issues with the three of us. We were kind of in awe of him. Uh, he was really good at reading stories and playing games, and he was just, he was a terrific fellow. And after he'd come a couple of times, our parents found out that he was actually one of the members of the Tongan royal family. Uh, so that was quite cool as a kid to realize that we had a prince who would come and look after us. Uh, what was even cooler was one day he started to go out with a princess, uh, also from Tonga, and they got married. Uh, and when he graduated, he went back to Tonga and uh, headed up their foreign affairs department as his first job. So the guy who sort of came and sort of mucked around on the floor with us and played with our Lego and tucked us into bed, uh, turned out he was a really senior person in the Tongan government. Uh, and at first we hadn't really clicked that, but as we got to know him, we could see, yep, I can see why you would be a prince. He did have a certain sort of authority about him. And I think the words we have from Hebrews tonight give us some of that extra information about Jesus. Uh, we've... Uh, it's not so very long ago that we were celebrating Christmas, and we remember Jesus coming as a little baby, um, and all of that is true. Uh, but sometimes if we leave, if, if our only thoughts about Jesus are of Jesus in the manger, then we're not quite getting the full picture of who he is and how significant he might be to our world and to us. And the first chapter of this book of Hebrews is one of those passages in the New Testament that gives some depth to who Jesus is. It, it gives us some of the background information. It gives us some of the titles, some of the authority that Jesus has. So that's what we're going to look at tonight, a deeper look at who Jesus is and how that might relate to us today. And there's really three things you won't be surprised to hear that I'll be looking at this evening, and they all come from verse 2 in our reading. It's dark enough for you out there that you don't have to follow along, but I can see some of you have smartphones. So if you're plugged in and you want to turn off Facebook and uh, come into Hebrews 1, then you can read along where you are. Here it is for those of us who don't have it in front of us. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, and listen to these three things, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom God appointed heir of all things, and through whom also God made the universe. So there are three things there that I'd like us to look at. Uh, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom God appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also God made the universe. And it turns out that when we look at the rest of Hebrews chapter 1, uh, the rest of the chapter actually fills in what these three points are. It sort of takes those three points and gives us more information about what each of them might mean, a, a greater understanding of the significance of these three things. So let's start with that first line. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. And the full meaning of this is given in verse 3, which Stuart read out to us as we started this evening. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So this tells us something extraordinary about God in its description of Jesus. Because if Jesus is the exact representation of God's being, then God is like Jesus. If we want to know what God is like, we need to look at Jesus. And this is a very helpful thing for all of us, because all of us need to learn what God is like. 
without God, we don't have a good picture of who God is. We might have all sorts of ideas running around in our head of who God ought to be, but we may not know exactly who God is. We need to be told who God is. We need to listen to what God is telling us through the Son. And when we listen to how God speaks through his Son, Jesus, then we learn what God is like. And we learn that God is like Jesus. So all the things we see about Christ, um, all his attributes, his care, his compassion, um, his concern for justice, his desire to feed people and care for them and heal them and restore them to fellowship with God, all of these things that we can say about Jesus, we can also say about God. But what does this mean for us? Well, I think what it means is that that Jesus is someone, therefore, who we are permitted and encouraged and, um, and exalted to worship. Uh, in the Judaism of Jesus' day, only God was worthy of worship. Uh, you, would, you just wouldn't dream of worshipping a human being um, in the Judaism of Jesus' day. It, it was blasphemous to do so. But the writer to the Hebrews, who has a very good understanding of uh, the Hebrew scriptures and of um, the Jewish focus on the one God and the truth of this one God, uh, this writer is saying that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so it's not surprising that the writer goes on to talk about how Jesus, the Son, is worshipped. Verse 6 says, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And by implication, not just the angels, we too are to worship the Son, Jesus Christ. And I think this is important for us because if we're honest, we're tempted to worship all sorts of other things in the world. Uh, perhaps money or beauty, status, maybe our possessions, maybe our career, uh, any one of a number of things that are good on their own, but we get tempted to worship them. And in some ways, you can tell what you worship by what you give your energy to, what you spend your time reflecting on what you give your resources to achieve. That's going to be a, a, a give you a sense of what it is you worship. And the Bible is clear that we, for all the goodness of creation, we shouldn't worship creation. We shouldn't find our meaning in the things that God has made, but in God himself. And so when it comes to Jesus, as the perfect reflection, the perfect representation of God, it is safe and right and proper that we worship Jesus as we have been doing already this evening. So that's our first point. The next point I want to look at is this idea that God has appointed the Son the heir of all things. And if you want to see where the writer to the Hebrews explains this in a little bit more detail, it's in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1. About the Son, God says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And these words uh, make what is quite an obvious point of the world, about the world, but I think it's one worth making again, that Hebrews 1 reminds us that there is genuine righteousness, but also, sadly, genuine wickedness in the world. There are actions and words and attitudes that are honoring to God, that please God and respect the good world that God has made, and that is the righteousness. 
But there are also actions, words, and attitude that dishonor God, that provoke God's displeasure, and that show no respect for the world that God has made. And the writer to the Hebrews draws this distinction here between the righteousness that can be found in creation, but also the wickedness as well. But Hebrews 1 goes further. It doesn't just tell us that righteousness and wickedness exists. It tells us that the Son is the one who God has established to rule the world and therefore judge between what is good and what is evil. And I think that is important for us because if you haven't noticed in yourself or in uh, the news, the world is full of people who long to decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong, uh, whether this be individuals or groups or governments or whole nations. Humanity in general seems to have an inbuilt tendency to justify its own decisions and condemn the actions of certain others. And for the Christian, our personal interpretation of what is good and evil is never sufficient. For God has established his son, Jesus, as the ruler of the world. And it's the one seated at God's right hand, uh, Jesus, who holds the scepter of the kingdom and who therefore determines what righteousness is and what is wickedness or evil. And so for us, we need to remember to listen to the son to help us discern what is right and what is wrong. Remember our first point, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, and God still speaks today through Jesus. And it is this voice, the voice of the Son, that we need to hear and obey if we are to live righteously before God. And this is true uh, not just of um, some of the obvious uh, decisions we might need to make. I mean, in some ways, we, we don't just need to um, listen to to Jesus to decide whether or not we murder someone or not, although it's fair to say that uh, we shouldn't. But there are other things in our lives which aren't quite so clear-cut that also involve righteousness. Uh, How do we devote our energy to our career? What decisions do we make about where we live and how we spend our money? Uh, How do we treat our family and our friends? Uh, What's our attitude to our workplaces? to the behaviors in our workplaces, Um, if there's bullying at work, if there is discrimination, how do we respond to those? It turns out that that righteousness uh, for us is a complicated thing. There are some times when it may appear to be obvious what the righteous course of action is, but there are plenty of other times when righteousness is not so straightforward. And in those cases, we need to listen carefully to what God is telling us through the scripture Uh, so that we might act well and act righteously in some of the really difficult situations we might find ourselves in at work or in our families or in our communities. But the key for us as Christians is that Jesus is the one whom God has given authority to judge and rule. So at the end of uh, our time, it will be Jesus who determines what has been righteous in our life and what hasn't. And so his word to us, the word that Jesus continually speaks to us and to the world, is a word that we desperately need to hear if we are going to live out the righteousness of God in our own lives. And finally, the third point I want to look at from that second verse of Hebrews 1 is this. Through the Son also God made the universe. And we find the the deeper explanation of this idea in verses 10 to 12 of our reading. Here's what the writer says. 
In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. So here's another deeper truth about Jesus. If Jesus is the heir of all things, he is also with the Father, the creator of all things. And this final insight into who Jesus is, that Jesus is also the creator, is linked to the first two points that the writer makes. For when the sun comes into the world, when God speaks the sun into the world, the sun comes into a world that he knows and loves because it is a world that he made. It is a world that he knows intimately and deeply because he made it. Jesus is coming to his own when he comes into the world. And also when the son is appointed heir of all things, when Jesus is established at the right hand of the father uh, to reign in the authority of God over creation, he's given this authority over all that he himself has had a part in creating. As the ruler of the world, uh, this picture of Jesus ruling at the right hand of God, Jesus is not a, a foreign leader who's been sort of parachuted in to, to rule the world. Jesus is one who, this is his rightful place as one who had a part with God in creation. Uh, in, in making the world in the very beginning, Jesus is its rightful ruler. Uh, he's not in the wrong place uh, when he is in charge, but in fact, he is in his rightful place as ruler and as judge of all that has been created. And there are a number of things that this might mean for us, but one that I wanted us to take home this evening is I think this means for us that the Son can be trusted. The Son of God who comes into the world, who we are to worship and obey, uh, this Son is trustworthy because he knows us and loves us, because he had a part in creating us. And there is nothing else we find on earth that we can trust so fully and so deeply as Christ, as the one who had a part in the creation of us. Uh, Jesus has an intimate knowledge of who we are, uh, not just the outward uh, show that we have for the world, but who we are deeply within. And so when Jesus, when we hear the word of God in Christ and we are called to worship and obey, we are called to worship and obey one who loves us and who knows us, one who made us. So there's been three things we've looked at briefly tonight, three depths, if you like, in this amazing chapter. And we've seen that the Son is someone who we need to worship, we are called to worship, because he is the perfect image, the true representation of the Father. And so we worship him. But we are also to obey him, because only Jesus knows what true righteousness is, and Jesus speaks what that righteousness is into the world, in his life and in his words to the church and in his words to us today. Jesus alone is the judge of what is righteous in the world and therefore what is righteous in our lives and in the whole of our behavior. And finally, we are encouraged and inspired to trust the Son, for through him all that is was made. And so Christ knows the whole world 
Uh, he knows our neighbours. He knows our family. He knows everything about the world, and he knows us deeply and intimately because he made us. And so I want to challenge us, uh, challenge myself and all of us tonight to think and ask ourselves, how are we responding to Christ? For some of us, we may find worshipping Jesus easy, and particularly in a, in a setting like this, in this sort of company, uh, with the band and the words and our, our fellow Christians next to us, Worshipping can be a, a joyful and straightforward thing, perhaps, for some of us. But obedience might be a little bit trickier when we're at work tomorrow, when we're uh, back uh, in whatever it is we do during the week, when we're away from our friends and our Christian family. Obeying Christ might be harder, and we might be tempted to go our own way and, and be um, the captains of our own fate during the week. Perhaps some of us find obey, the idea of obeying Jesus quite straightforward. Uh, maybe we, we, because of the way we've been brought up or because of our temperament, uh, we, we don't mind people telling us what to do because it sort of takes the responsibility off us for having to figure out how to live our lives. But we may be left with a little worry about whether Jesus is really trustworthy. And we might worry that, that while Jesus has lots of commands for us to fulfill, we worry whether... He really commands us out of a place of love, that perhaps maybe he is just a dictator who has come in, who bosses us around without really caring of who we are um, and without really knowing or taking the time to know us or our situation. So I think for all of us, these three responses of ours, we have to hold in balance. We need to show them all um, if we are to live full Christian lives. We are to worship the Son, of course, as we worship God but we are also to obey, but we also have to trust, for Jesus is trustworthy. We are not simply responding to him automatically or out of a sense of duty. It's because we can trust him, for he is the one who made us, and also he is the one who loved us. Amen.